And loving Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for, for the book of Matthew. Um, thank you uh, for the testimony of Jesus' life on this earth. Father, we ask that you would um, speak to us by your Holy Spirit um, as we look at that testimony tonight. Uh, we pray that you'd open our eyes to see Jesus. Uh, Father, we pray that you change us, uh, that you challenge us, uh, that you'd equip us, that you'd strengthen us uh, for your sake. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, in January this year, um, a study was published about the nation's view on prayer. Apparently, just over half of all UK adults pray, at least sometimes. 20% said that prayer was part of their daily routine. Amongst those who didn't have any religion at all, 24% of people will still pray as a last resort. So that means one in four people, a good proportion of people, talk to God, even when they're not sure that he is there. Uh, I wonder what, purpor- what proportion of these um, people, once kind of things have moved, moved on, once the de- dust has settled down, consider God again. You know, I'd love, I'd love if they um, did another survey of these people, asking something along the lines of, you've, you've, uh, you've had something to say to God. Do you think God might have something to tell you? Might he have a message for you? And that is true for us uh, this evening. Might he have a message for us today? So we're in in Matthew chapter 4, page 968. So if you have closed up your Bible, please do reopen it there. And we're going to be starting from chapter 12, uh, sorry, from verse 12. This is right at the start of um, Jesus' ministry in the book of Matthew. And it's where we discover that God does have a message for people. He has a message for us. That's what we're going to be thinking about this evening. God's message is clear throughout this passage. Change your mind. Follow me. Because I'm the king, and this message is for everyone. So on this, on this green leaflet, then you've got your, uh, those points there. You might find it useful to jot some notes down as we go through it. So, firstly, change your mind. Let's, let's read from uh, verse 12, if you'd just like to follow along with me. When Jesus, sorry, yeah, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he returned to Galilee. Le- leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way to the sea along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Matthew's doing a little bit of scene setting here, isn't he? It's it's the beginning of of Jesus' ministry, and John the Baptist, we read, has just been put in, in prison probably somewhere in the south of the country. and Jesus was most likely around the same area at that time, so he decides to travel back up to the north, to uh, Nazareth, and then on to Capernaum. And Matthew's quoting from our first reading today, Isaiah chapter 9. We tend to hear that reading a lot around Christmas. It's a prophecy about the Messiah. A child is to be born, a son is to be given. And where are the people who are going to experience this blessing first? Well, it says here that they're going to be in Zebulun and Naphtali. I'm pretty sure for all of us, really, that those places mean absolutely nothing. I may as well be saying Dubbo and Wagga Wagga, uh, which might mean something if you're Australian, but for most of us, they're just pretty um, funny names. But to the Jewish readers of Matthew, this would have rung a bell. These were places where Israelites in centuries past lived under constant fear of invasion from Israel's enemies. The Assyrians conquered these lands and deported the Israelites from there. And this is where the Messiah begins his ministry. 
where there is darkness, a light has dawned, the sun is rising. We find in verse 17 the strapline of the Messiah's message. Jesus says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. I don't know what you think of, of that strapline. I actually think, you know, that it was good for people back then. You know, yes, the reason they previously faced the prospect of invasion from Israel's enemies was because, you know, they'd sinned against God. They needed to turn back to God. Or maybe you think the culture then seemed pretty uncivilised. Uh, it wasn't enlightened like we are, we are nowadays. They needed to turn away from their foolishness, but, you know, we're kind of better than that now. You know, we are wise. This message, though, is, is not just for Jews living in Galilee. The Messiah's message is for us too. The light that had dawned over Zebulun and Naphtali was a light that dawned on the whole of creation. There's a small uh, hint of this in verse 15 where it says, Galilee of the Gentiles, or the non-Jews. The light has dawned over Jews and over non-Jews. And Isaiah 9 tells us that there will be no end to the increase of the Messiah's government. It will it'll grow beyond Zebulun and Naphtali. It will grow beyond the Middle East. It will stretch to all the corners of the world. And he will reign over it forever, for all time. So his message, the Messiah's message, was for all people, for all times. This means we need to, to listen and take note of Jesus' call to repent, for his light has dawned over us too. Some people think in this day and age in London, we're basically free to make our own decisions about what is right and wrong. So do we really need to repent of the things we do? You might go shopping in Oxford Street on a Saturday. Good luck. And hear a delusional man shouting into a microphone, repent, repent. And everyone's just walking past him. Is his his message just irrelevant? One author describes how he worked as a missionary in Romania. And one of the first words he learnt there was pokait. It's derogatory. It roughly translates as repenter. It's used to mock those who have turned wholeheartedly to Jesus. So repentance in our age is, is unpopular. It's irrelevant, isn't it? Or perhaps, or perhaps this makes you feel uncomfortable. Repenting. Does that mean I have to kind of face up to the wrong things that I've, I've done? I don't, I don't really want to do that. It doesn't sound appealing. It will certainly help us if we take a step back and consider what repentance means in the New Testament. We might think of it as sorrow for sin or, you know, an improvement of our behaviour. But the basic meaning of New Testament repentance is to change your mind. Change your mind. So the question, obvious question leading from that is, well, change our minds from what and change them to what? Well, change our minds from our our self-centeredness from our self-importance, from our our self-reliant nature, a nature which wants to do things our own way and not acknowledge that we do things wrong, not acknowledge that Christ is Lord. Change from this to an understanding that God is true, God is beautiful, God is Lord, God is worthy of our praise, he's worthy of our obedience. God is merciful to us, he's merciful to sinners. Scripture, of course, um, helps us here. We started our service today with, with words from Colossians 3. We read there, Paul instructing the church to set their minds and their hearts on things above, not on, not on things that are on earth. And in doing that, in changing that mindset, we're changed from the inside. We'll find that our desires change. We will want to flee from sin. We will realise the importance of having our mind changed. 
We will want to experience the same light that has dawned over Zebulun and Naphtali that takes away the darkness of our sin. Sometimes here in church we sing Charles Wesley's uh, famous hymn, And Can It Be? And one of those verses uh, talks about darkness and light. It says, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night and darkness. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray, a ray of light. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth and followed thee. When we sing that, we're singing about the light that has dawned, which awakens and frees our spirit. And it does that through hearing the Messiah's message, through repenting, through having our minds change. And this will mean a wiping out of our sins. It will mean life for us. Perhaps you feel Jesus' command here is a bit irrelevant to you. you know. Okay, this is, this is good news for people who are bad, people who need help. But you know what? I'm generally okay. I'm generally a nice person. I don't, do I really need to repent? I don't need to repent. But just imagine the scene here. The father is watching his child play in the front room. The child crawls over to the wall and he's fascinated with the plug socket. So he could be sticking toys and fingers into the socket. What's the father going to do? Well, surely he's going to call the child away from the danger to change their mind about what he's doing. Jesus' message for all to repent is similar. However we perceive ourselves, whether we perceive ourselves good or bad or self-sufficient, we still need to repent. The message is clear. Stop playing around. We're in danger if we don't listen to him. We need to remember the very unpopular fact that remains the unrepentant will not inherit the kingdom of God. Each week during our time together, we spend a few moments praying and confessing our sins. That's a good thing for us to do. In doing so, it's not like we, we stack up our sins each week and then we pray this prayer on a Sunday evening and then you know, all those sins are forgotten. It's not like we've been saved every week. That isn't how it works. The purpose for us Christians is to that we still need, we still need help. However long we've been following Christ for, we still need to repent. We need to continually uh, turn our minds back to Jesus. This is, of course, a risk of us doing this out of routine. You know, we, we perhaps know this prayer off by heart. We say it every week. So encouragement for us here is to be thoughtful and intentional when we pray that prayer. Consider what we're actually saying. Consider what we're praying, the importance of it. We're, asking, we're praying that we would rely more on God. And then as we leave this place and go out throughout our week, we need to remember the words that we prayed. We need to remember the words of of Paul writing uh, to the church. He said, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. So the first part of our Messiah's message is for all of us here today. Change your mind. Second part of his message is follow me. Let's carry on reading our passage. We'll pick up from verse 18, follow along with me. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. And once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. You might be a bit surprised 
about his story. You see, here are four fishermen who, just on hearing Jesus say a few words, decide to give up their business, their, their family, and their homes and follow him. You might be thinking, have these guys, have they even met Jesus before? This is all escalating pretty quickly. Isn't it even just a little bit reckless? Well, actually, it's, it's very likely that Simon Peter and Andrew knew Jesus beforehand. And the same for, for John and James. They were likely to, they were likely to be friends with um, Simon Peter and Andrew. We've not got time to flip there now, but if you read um, John chapter 1, we read that before John the Baptist was thrown into prison, Andrew had heard, about, um, heard him talk about who Jesus was and, and brought his, his brother Simon to meet Jesus. And this is where Jesus gives him the name Simon Peter. Peter, he had Peter to his name. But we know from the start of our passage uh, today in verse 12 that all this took place whilst John the Baptist was in prison. So it's likely that they knew, they knew Jesus beforehand. Now, of course, that doesn't downplay what these men did. Of course not. They may well have known him, but, but to be willing to give up everything to follow Jesus, that's still radical. Do you notice what Jesus says to these fishermen? He doesn't say, follow this doctrine or follow these rules for living or, you know, go and do good things. No, he says to them, follow me. He is the light. He is their life. And giving up what they had and leaving it behind, they were gaining Christ. They were gaining something so much more valuable. We know that three of these four fishermen were to become the inner circle of Jesus' followers. They were the primary um, audience for much of his teaching. They witnessed um, a lot of his works firsthand. Um, they were even there during moments of special significance, like when Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, just before his arrest. They knew Jesus. They knew him intimately. This was someone who was worth following, who was worth giving it all up for. They might not have known that at the time, but they certainly knew it later on. And us, with the privilege of hindsight, looking back and see that Jesus is still worth following. He's worth following to this day. Jesus' call for these, uh, for these fishermen was specific to them. He says, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. But Jesus called out the whole of scripture is for everyone to follow him. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. For these four fishermen, following Christ was costly. It meant leaving it all behind. It meant repenting. It meant submitting to his authority. And it came at an even bigger cost than this too. The historians tell us that Simon Peter was crucified for preaching the gospel in Rome. Likewise, Andrew, for the same reason in Greece. We read in Acts chapter 12 that James was put to death by the sword. Henry of the four, does, um, John seems to have died a natural death, although even he was exiled to a Mediterranean island. Following, following Jesus for these men was no doubt the costliest decision they made. And following Christ will come at a cost to us too. We, like his disciples, we need to submit to his authority. That's an unpopular concept in our culture, isn't it? But over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at the chapters in Matthew that follow this account. These chapters contain some of Jesus' most famous words in the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to discover that Jesus' teachings are, are counter-cultural. Sometimes they're totally opposite to the non-Christian world. So it's going to challenge us. It's probably going to make us feel very uncomfortable at times. It's going to expose our sin. The original hearers 
of the Sermon on the Mount were astonished by Jesus' words because he spoke with authority. He spoke the word of God. And so over the next few weeks, as as challenging as it may be to hear Jesus' words, we need to humbly sit under Jesus' authority as we do whenever we study the Bible. In following him, we will need to accept that he is Lord and that this teaching is actually a gracious outpouring of his love for us, even when we find it hard and difficult. But this isn't all it means to follow him. Like his disciples, we too will have to give up our lives. Perhaps not to the point of death as they did, but, but certainly to a greater extent than we'll feel comfortable. Later on in Matthew, Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. It's quite a shocking metaphor, isn't it? Jesus is using the horror of crucifixion to explain what it's like to follow him. To follow him, we must die to self-will. We must embrace God's will, no matter what the cost. We must follow Christ in his suffering. How might that look for you as we think about this passage? Perhaps it will mean going above and beyond in order to care for someone, your family, someone in your family, someone in the church who needs your help. Perhaps it means sacrificing an evening a week to join a small group if you've not already done so. So that you can love your brothers and sisters in Christ, so that you can encourage them and build them up in the faith each week. Would you, would you sacrifice an evening a week to do that? Maybe it will mean reconsidering how you spend your money, the amount of money you give away for gospel purposes. It might mean ending a relationship which you know doesn't honour God. And what about those those um, fellow Christians who follow Christ daily at the risk of persecution, perhaps even death in other countries. Can you serve them? Can you help them? For some, it maybe even means going overseas and following Christ there. So the second part of our Messiah's message is follow him. Let's let's just be honest for a moment. None of this is particularly easy. And you might be sitting there thinking, well, why would anyone want to do this? Why would anyone want to follow Christ at such a cost? Well, some really good reasons that we can draw out from our passage this evening. Firstly, he is the king. And secondly, his message is for all. Let's think about the king first. He is the king. We've spoken a little bit about Jesus' authority. Although it doesn't quite come over um, so well in our version, Jesus' words to these fishermen weren't so much an invitation as as a command. His words are quite similar to the prophets in the Old Testament who have the authority to speak the word of God. It's a bold demand. This isn't your friend giving you a call and asking if you fancy going travelling around Southeast Asia for a few months. This was the Messiah. He had authority. They respond to his call Uniquely, I mean, who else are they going to give up everything to follow? And they respond instinctively. This shows us the authority of his words. But his words of authority are also backed up by his actions. Let's carry on reading. Verse 23 says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. This is a great account, isn't it? 
Jesus went around preaching and healing. Don't, don't take this for granted. This isn't commonplace in the Bible. This is an extraordinary time. And in doing these miracles, he's showing us who he is. They are a sign that he is the king. His actions give us a foretaste of what his kingdom will look like when the king comes again, when Jesus comes again. He heals every disease to show us that one day there will be no disease or sickness in his kingdom. Second reason to repent and follow Christ, we find in verse 24. His message is for all. Let's read 24. News about him spread all over Syria, and people, people brought to him all who were ill, with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Do you notice here the kind of people that um, were being brought to Jesus? People from all over Syria, that means Jews and non-Jews. People who were diseased, those suffering with pain, the possessed, those who couldn't even walk, the lowest of the low. And, and, and when they're brought to Jesus, what does he do? He heals them. This message is for all. Jesus' kingdom is for all. It's not, it's not just for the Jews, like, like the fishermen, but for non-Jews too. It's not just for the, for the educated and the elite. No, it's for the poor, it's for the needy. It's not just, not just for the healthy, but it's for the broken and the hurting. We sang earlier a song uh, with the words, He has compassion on all that he has made. Jesus has compassion on all people. We see that here. Jesus has compassion on you, however painful and difficult life it can be. Yes, so, you know, sometimes the message is hard. Sometimes following him will come at what might often seem like too high a cost. But he calls you because he loves you. He knows that the best thing for you is himself. So he calls you to follow him. And in following Christ, we gain Christ himself. It's clear for, for the Apostle Paul when he's writing to the church in Philippi that the most, the most valuable thing that he would have is Christ. Just to see his joy as he writes to them. He says, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them all rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Is it any wonder, perhaps, that we read verse 25. It says, large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. This is right at the start of Jesus's ministry. Just a few verses in, we read that large crowds from around the whole area are following him. Why do we think that is? It can only be that they've experienced the dawning of a great light. The Messiah spoke a message of hope. In the midst of the shadow of death, here is light. So yeah, sometimes it was a hard message, and the response wasn't easy, but he spoke with God's authority after all. It was never going to be easy. And he backed it up with actions to show the people who he was, who he cared about, and what, what his future kingdom would look like. This man was worth knowing. He was worth following. I came across a story about a, name, a man named John Patton. Uh, I think he experienced some of what this all means. Uh, he turned to Christ at a young age in Scotland. At the age of 33, he set sail for a chain of islands in the South Pacific. His aim was to, to follow Christ, to share the good news of the kingdom to people who'd never heard it before. And he went to an island called Tanna. Missionaries had been here before. They'd been killed. They'd been eaten by cannibals. 
Within a year, his wife and newborn child had died of a fever. So he spent the next four years serving alone on this island. He tells the story of a moment when he's being pursued by hostile natives. He says, I climbed into a tree and was left there alone in the bush. I heard the frequent discharge of muskets and the yells of the savages, yet I sat there among the branches as safe in the arms of Jesus. Never in all my sorrows did my Lord draw nearer to me and speak more soothingly to my soul as I told my as I told all my heart to Jesus. Alone, yet not alone. If it will be to glorify my God, I will not grudge to spend many nights alone in such a tree, to feel again my Saviour's spiritual presence, to enjoy his consoling fellowship. He finishes up with a question for us. If thus thrown back upon your own soul, alone, all alone, in the midnight, In the bush, in the very embrace of death itself, have you a friend that will not fail you then? John Patton did. John Patton had Christ. He had heard his Messiah's message. He'd repented. He'd submitted to his authority. He'd followed passionately. It cost him greatly, but but heeding, heeding the Messiah's message, he gained something so much more valuable. A friend, the Lord, Christ, who failed him not. And that friend... That loving king has a message for us too tonight. Repent, follow, for in doing so you gain me and surely you inherit my kingdom. So how will you respond to that message? Perhaps this is a new message for you. Perhaps you're intrigued and and you want to know more about this this guy called Jesus. What else did he do? What else did he he say to people? You're talking about his kingdom, what is that all about? If so, please do chat to either myself or um, Tom or David or any other Christian here today. We would love to be able to chat and pray with you. Perhaps you've heard this message many times before. You've heard it, and yes, you've found that Christ is worth following. We have a message of hope. The light has dawned. So let us continue to fix our minds and our hearts on things that are above, being changed from the inside out being bold in fleeing from sin. And let us consider how we can effectively follow Christ. How can we share the good news? How can we proclaim Christ's kingship? How can we pray, can proclaim the kingdom to come? How can we care like he did for the broken and the hurting and the needy? For this is how we are called to follow him. Shall we pray? Loving Heavenly Father, uh, we pray that you'd help us to hear the Messiah's message tonight and help us to heed the warnings and delight in the encouragement of Jesus' words. Uh, May we seek to encourage one another, build one another up in these truths. We pray that you'd stir us up into action. Father, we pray that you would um, change our unrepentant hearts that you'd strengthen us to be quick in following Jesus. And we ask for your help in setting our minds on things that are above, where Christ is, not on earthly things. And it's in in his name we pray and believe. Amen.
Thank you very much, Alex. We're going to stand and sing our next song, Hear the Call of the Kingdom.